Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everything Abraham Lincoln believed was darkness. In early 1863, amid what he had called the fiery trial of the Civil War, Union forces were meeting defeat after defeat at the hands of the Confederacy. Elizabeth Keckley, a free black woman with a dressmaking business in Washington whose clients included Mary Todd Lincoln, recalled a gloomy president walking into a room in the residence in the White House, throwing himself on a sofa and reading the book of Job, the story of a righteous man tested by a god of wrath. Job had endured, which was all Lincoln could think to do. And then, providentially on the 4th of July, amid despair and death, light and life emerged. Word arrived of a Union victory in the farmland of Pennsylvania at Gettysburg. Later, in a conversation with General Daniel E. Sickles, who lost a leg in the battle, Lincoln described the anxious hours as he had waited for the verdict from Pennsylvania. Lincoln said this, In the pinch of your campaign up there, oppressed by the gravity of our affairs, I went into my room one day and locked the door and got down on my knees before Almighty God and prayed to him mightily for victory at Gettysburg. I told him this was his war and our cause, his cause, but that we couldn't stand another Fredericksburg or Chancellorsville. And I then and there made a solemn vow to Almighty God that if he would stand by our boys at Gettysburg, I would stand by him. And he did, and I will. I'm John Meacham. And this is Hope Through History, Episode 2, A New Birth of Freedom. If you had no idea what the purpose of this nation was and why people had given their lives in every single generation to preserve it, you could read that document alone and it would tell you. Gettysburg had been devastated by this battle that was like a giant tornado that swept through the town, destroying everything in its path. That government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Oh my goodness, we need to remember those words today when it seems that democracy is in such peril. The Battle of Gettysburg and the presidential address it inspired were milestones in the Civil War and in American history itself. Fought from the 1st to the 3rd of July, 1863, the battle claimed about 50,000 casualties and marked an end to Robert E. Lee's invasion of the North. It was, in the vernacular of history, a turning point and an example of how good can come from evil, light from darkness, life from death. What was at stake was that this had been a war much longer than anyone anticipated. As Lee advanced into Pennsylvania, 
and potentially threatened Washington and Baltimore. People were very apprehensive, nervous, frustrated. But Lincoln saw this as an opportunity. This is the historian and author Ronald C. White, Jr. Now we had Lee in a place where, with an inadequate supply line, with his army in place, he saw this as the great opportunity to destroy Lee's army. And so here again, Lincoln, as commander-in-chief, saw things differently than the politicians and even differently than some of his generals. This was beginning to be called Mr. Lincoln's War, and people were getting tired. The other side was arguing that the war needed to return to what they called the nation as it was, to now have a nation that again had slavery. So this was a critical, crucial time. Gettysburg and in the West, Vicksburg dominated the headlines of the summer of 1863, but other less celebrated battles were also substantively and symbolically significant. In June and July, the performance of black soldiers under fire at Port Hudson and Milliken's Bend in Louisiana and at Fort Wagner in South Carolina convinced the president of the great utility of having black men under arms. The colored population is the greatest available and yet unavailed of force for restoring the Union, Lincoln had written Andrew Johnson of Tennessee in March. To David Hunter in April, the president had said, I am glad to see accounts of your colored force. The enemy will make extra efforts to destroy them, and we should do the same to preserve and increase them. Federal law had changed slowly. A 1792 Act of Congress had limited militia service to white male citizens, but legislation in the summer of 1862 had dropped any allusion to race. The Emancipation Proclamation, in turn, had opened military service to black men. We have no hesitation in saying that 10,000 black soldiers might be raised in the next 30 days to march upon the South. Let the black man once get upon his person the brass letters U.S., let him get an eagle on his button and a musket on his shoulder and bullets in his pocket, and there is no power on earth which can deny that he has earned the right to citizenship in the United States. The Union cause had been infused with manpower and a kind of new moral purpose by Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, which had opened the door to the enlistment of African-American troops, and those troops had already proved their mettle at this point at battles at Port Hudson and Milliken's Bend in, in the Western Theater. This is Elizabeth Varon, professor of American history at the University of Virginia. She is the author of Armies of Deliverance, A New History of the Civil War, and of a landmark study entitled Appomattox, Victory, Defeat, and Freedom at the End of the Civil War. The Emancipation Proclamation gave the Union a new moral purpose, now fighting a war for freedom, as abolitionists and radical Republicans had always urged the Union should. And the proclamation had also accelerated the pace of slave flight from slavery to Union lines and accelerated, therefore, the erosion of slavery, which was a blow against the Confederate war effort and a gain for the Union war effort. This much was clear. For Lincoln, there could be no peace without abolition. It might be gradual, and it might be compensated, but abolition there would be. He insisted on what he called the restoration of peace between the states, 
and a reunion of all the states on the basis of the abolition of slavery, the bone we are fighting over, and the full reinstatement of every Confederate citizen and all the rights of citizenship in our common country. Fundamentally for the Confederates and for Lee, the Gettysburg campaign was a massive raid. The purpose wasn't to occupy enemy territory. They wouldn't have been able to hold it under any circumstances. But for the Confederates to be in the vicinity of Washington, D.C. and striking distance of it always sent panic waves and waves of hysteria through the Union. And and that was potentially a way, again, to divide and frighten Northerners, maybe to the point of having them repudiate Lincoln's leadership. Lee hoped to divide Northern public opinion by striking some blows in the North. He paid lip service to the idea that the Confederates would win over Northern public opinion by refraining from any plunder or depredations, by proving that Southerners fought fair while the Yankees had engaged in indiscriminate wanton destruction in the South. That was the way Confederates saw it. But in reality, the Confederate forces did turn not simply to foraging, but to plundering. Confederates didn't stop at seizing Union property. They also, in a very grim and tragic and revealing part of this battle, seized people too, namely African-Americans, some who were free, had always been free, some who were fugitives from slavery who had found a haven in Pennsylvania. Confederates rounded up men, women, and children in a massive campaign of slave catching, sending hundreds back to the South slave markets for sale. This atrocious behavior of the Confederate Army on northern soil didn't galvanize a peace movement in the north. It brought northerners together in defense of home and hearth. Lincoln's joy at Gettysburg was deep but brief. Amid what he called this gigantic rebellion, at the bottom of which is an effort to overthrow the principle that all men are created equal, we have the surrender of a most powerful position and army. And yet his generals failed him again. By declining to pursue and destroy the Confederate forces after Gettysburg, the Union High Command frustrated Lincoln nearly to distraction. Lee's successful evasion of the Union forces loomed large in the administration's imagination. If I had gone up there, I could have licked them myself, the president muttered. All Lincoln could see to do was to fight on, to crush the enemy wholly and decisively. To do so, he would need the hero of the West to come East, Ulysses S. Grant. I do not remember that you and I ever met personally, the president wrote Grant in mid-July 1863. I write this now as a grateful acknowledgement for the almost inestimable service you have done the country and there was much more such service to render. If you're enjoying Hope Through History and want to hear other compelling stories about how the past impacts us today, tune in to History This Week, an original podcast from the History Channel. Every Monday, History This Week turns back the clock to meet the people, visit the places, and witness the fascinating moments in time that have shaped our world today. With episodes spanning from ancient to modern history, 
exploring topics that you think you know and some that weren't covered in textbooks. History This Week invites listeners on a journey to gain a new understanding of the momentous events that define us. History This Week is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Hey friends, this is Jen Hatmaker, your happy host of the For the Love podcast. You may wonder how I got into this podcasting thing. Well, I'm a speaker and an author who has happened to write a few New York Times bestselling books that really resonated with a pretty large community of women. And I thought, how great would it be to drop into the ears of this growing community every week via the magic of podcasting? So that's what we did. And I'm delighted to say we've been able to spark a bit of delight and uncover some hope and talk with great people about the big and small things that we care about and that affect our lives on the daily. So I'm thrilled to invite you to join me every Wednesday for new episodes of the For the Love podcast, where you'll hear the most incredible conversations with some of the best people on this planet. We're going to bring you moments of connection and laughter and hot takes on the things we care about going on in the world. So listen to and follow For the Love with Jen Hatmaker, a Four Eyes Media production presented by Odyssey. You can get it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. On Wednesday, November 18, 1863, the president left the White House for a quick trip aboard a special four-car train from the B&O Railroad. John Hay, a White House secretary, wrote in his diary, We started from Washington to go to the consecration of the Soldier Cemetery at Gettysburg. The president was to give a speech, a brief one, at the consecration. He had drafted it in Washington. In the crush of business, amid the unrelenting demands of the present, he had decided to speak not only to the moment, but to the ages. In real time, the Gettysburg Address was Lincoln's effort to tell Americans why we were at war, and it was no longer good enough for him to say, I'm doing this to litigate a technical clause of the Constitution that says that this has to be one united country. It had to be a more dramatic and more moral reason than that. And it also had to be something that was fundamental that people could understand. They could understand a war that was to eliminate the evil of slavery and liberate African-Americans much more than they could that he was litigating the Constitution like a lawyer. I think the enduring impact of the Gettysburg Address is that if you had no idea what the purpose of this nation was and why people had given their lives in every single generation to preserve it, you could read that document alone and it would tell you. Lincoln left the Capitol about noon. The invitation had come from the lawyer and future judge David Wills, an agent of Governor Curtin of Pennsylvania, to bury the 3,500 combat dead of 17 states at Gettysburg had been a monumental task. Now, in November of 63, the architects of the new National Cemetery were ready to dedicate the project. 
Edward Everett of Massachusetts, a former Secretary of State and one-time President of Harvard, would deliver the main address. It is the desire that after the oration, you, as Chief Executive of the nation, formally set apart these grounds to their sacred use by a few appropriate remarks, Wills wrote Lincoln. We hope you will be able to be present to perform this last solemn act to the soldier dead on this battlefield. Initial plans had called for the presidential party to come in on the day of the dedication itself, but Lincoln didn't want to be rushed. I do not wish to so go that by the slightest accident we fail entirely, and at the best the whole to be a mere breathless running the gauntlet, he wrote. He arrived in the village at about 5 p.m. The most salient fact context is that this is a speech given at a cemetery for Union soldiers. So Lincoln is attempting to speak for and to commemorate the loyal dead and their sacrifices and to comfort the nation by explaining that these men did not die in vain. Here is Elizabeth Varon again. It's also very important to note that He's speaking in a community, Gettysburg, that had been devastated by this battle that was like a giant tornado that swept through the town, destroying everything in its path. The people of Gettysburg, civilians, men, women, are still rebuilding their homes and their lives, repairing their gardens and fences and roofs, replacing confiscated items. They're literally still dealing with the corpses of thousands of dead men. The soldiers, those who died in the battle, had initially been buried in makeshift graves all over the town. Civilians who had literally been caught in the crossfire in July of 1863 are still dealing with the trauma and the loss of that moment. So Lincoln's job to explain what these men died for. The president spent the evening at David Wills's house in town. He reviewed the cemetery's designs and at 10 p.m., briefly addressed a serenade by the 5th New York Artillery. After breakfast the next morning, Tuesday, November 19th, Lincoln put the finishing touches on his speech, dressed in his usual black suit, and mounted a magnificent chestnut charger for the procession from town to the cemetery. It was a 15-minute ride. The president arrived at the platform in the fields of Gettysburg at a quarter after 11. The president was received with marked respect and a perfect silence due to the solemnity of the occasion, the Washington Chronicle reported, every man among the immense gathering uncovering at his appearance. The weather was lovely. Edward Everett, who gave the main address, spoke for more than two hours, at one point framing the rebellion as an act against God. As we stand among these honored graves, the momentous question presents itself. Which of the two parties to the war is responsible for all this suffering, for this dreadful sacrifice of life, the lawful and constituted government of the United States, or the ambitious men who have rebelled against it, Everett asked. I call the war which the Confederates are waging against the Union a rebellion, because it is one and in grave matters it is best to call things by their right names. To levy war against the United States is the constitutional definition of treason, and that crime is an imitation on earth of that first foul revolt of the infernal serpent against which the supreme majesty of heaven sent forth the armed myriads of his angels. Finally, at 2 p.m., 
the President rose and spoke. The recording of the speech you're about to hear was done by an actor in 1914. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us the living rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from the honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they here gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people and for the people, shall not perish from the earth. The speech was so short, that John R. Young, who was there to report on it for a Philadelphia newspaper, leaned over to Lincoln afterward to ask if that was all. Yes, the president replied, for the present. In real time, it was kind of an afterthought, remembering that Lincoln was invited sort of late in the day to offer a few words, quote-unquote. Here again is Ron White. The Democratic newspapers, remembering that in each city you had both Republican and a Democratic newspaper. So the Chicago Times, the Democratic newspaper, said how absolutely embarrassing that someone could offer an address that was so vapid in terms of content. Lincoln reportedly didn't think much of his own performance. That speech went sour, Lincoln remarked after he left the stage. It is a flat failure and the people are disappointed. The Chicago Times agreed with the president's initial impression. The cheeks of every American must tingle with shame as he reads the silly, flat, and dishwatery utterances. The Harrisburg Patriot and Union echoed the point. 
We pass over the silly remarks of the President. For the credit of the nation, we are willing that the veil of oblivion shall be dropped over them, and that they shall no more be repeated or thought of. Others had different views. We know not where to look for a more admirable speech than the brief one which the President made at the close of Mr. Everett's oration, the Providence Journal wrote. Could the most elaborate and splendid oration be more beautiful, more touching, more inspiring than those thrilling words of the President? They have, in our humble judgment, the charm and power of the very highest eloquence. Everett himself wrote Lincoln, I should be glad if I could flatter myself that I came as near to the central idea of the occasion in two hours as you did in two minutes. And the Chicago Tribune was effusive. The dedicatory remarks by President Lincoln will live among the annals of man. It was this extraordinary act of American rhetoric, right? I mean, Lincoln, in so many ways, has set the table, set the terms for a certain kind of American speech. This is Eddie Gloud, Jr., the James S. McDonald Distinguished University Professor of African American Studies at Princeton. This is as clear an example of the clarity of his language, the fierceness of his moral vision, and it's in the face of unimaginable carnage, you know, and the scale of death of Gettysburg and what he managed to put forward in 272 words, cut to the core, at least in my view, of who we are as a nation. Those last lines, right? that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Oh my goodness, we need to remember those words today when it seems that democracy is in such peril. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Symbiotica is one of the fastest growing health and wellness companies right now. It's so refreshing to see a health and wellness brand only use clean, premium ingredients in its formulas to grow this quickly. Symbiotica's supplements are made with 100% clean, natural ingredients. There are no seed oils, fillers, additives, artificial ingredients, or natural flavors in their formulas. They come in this convenient pouch that is super easy to travel with, which is perfect for on the go. For men who want more energy, to build more muscle, to get better sleep, and to feel their best so they can perform their best, Symbiotica is for you. Since subscribing to Symbiotica, I felt more alert and energized. Mineral Shilajit is by far my favorite supplement. It's nutrient-rich, with over 84 essential vitamins that support overall health. This formula is great for men, as it can support reproductive health, boost testosterone, and support the body during stress. I think all men need to try Symbiotica. They are having an awesome promotion right now. You can get 15% off plus free shipping when you start a subscription. Head to C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com and use code START for 15% off plus free shipping when you start a subscription. The speech was a distillation of decades of Lincoln's thinking. 
a cogent case not only for a democracy of white men, but for freedom for the enslaved. The Gettysburg Address was a defense of emancipation and a theologically informed brief for the equality of all, regardless of color or station or condition. A nation under God could not forever resist the dictates of that God. And Lincoln, contrary to the prevailing white Southern Christian view, took the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament to mean that human equality was innate and universal. If this were true, then any restrictions or barriers to the exercise of that equality, to granting all the right to pursue happiness, as Jefferson had put it, were in conflict with human conscience itself. And conscience, in Lincoln's view, was a manifestation of the will of the Lord. I think it plays a profound role, especially with Lincoln's words of a new birth of freedom. This is Peniel Joseph, the founding director of the Center for the Study of Race and Democracy at the University of Texas at Austin. In a way, what Lincoln does in the Gettysburg Address is expand on the founders' notion of freedom and citizenship and dignity in a much more expansive way and inclusive way to really mark 1863 and really the Civil War as a sacred battleground to redefine citizenship and reimagine American democracy. And in subsequent years and decades, so many people are going to look back upon the Gettysburg Address and really use the language from the Gettysburg Address to clarify what the legacy of the Civil War should actually be in the United States. By rooting the American founding in 1776 rather than in 1787-88, Lincoln was giving the Declaration of Independence primacy of place over the Constitution. The Gettysburg Address was Lincoln's most convincing attempt to frame American politics as not only an imperfect mediation of interests, but as a moral undertaking to redeem a sinful world through the conscious pursuit of justice. Slave owners portrayed slavery as divinely ordained. Lincoln portrayed individual liberty as God-given. Slave owners invoked the Constitution as a shield for oppression. Lincoln invoked the Declaration of Independence as a higher, older, superseding authority. Slave owners defended an aristocracy of color. Lincoln defended the ideal of a democracy for all. He did so by fusing the scripture of old with the scripture of America and interpreting the result by the lights of conscience. The speech is sort of symbolic of the role of presidents, not only as consolers in chief, as we sometimes say these days, but as teachers in chief, that really they can, should, the best ones do, explain events and their meaning to the public in a way that, that educates the public and elevates public consciousness rather than sort of pandering to the lowest common denominator. And what's fascinating is that this speech shows that he's learning as he's teaching and he has the humility to adapt his views to changing circumstances, but then the confidence to take the public with him on that journey, as it were, and to explain events to them as those events unfold. This reference to increased devotion to the great task remaining before us 
I think is Lincoln's way of saying that the best way to honor our forebears is not to cling stubbornly to tradition, but to have the courage to change and evolve in order to fulfill the promise of this union and to permit it to survive by growing morally and in every other way. In public life, by the side of the actual state of the world, there exists this ideal state toward which it should tend, the historian George Bancroft had said in a lecture Lincoln knew, a lecture entitled, The Necessity, the Reality, and the Promise of the Progress of the Human Race. Bancroft had added, The subtle and irresistible movement of mind, silently but thoroughly correcting opinion and changing society, brings liberty both to the soul and to the world. In the sphere of politics, the Republican government has long been the aspiration of the wise. Lincoln shared this vision and was doing all he could to impress it on a nation at war, investing the cause of union with the cause of freedom for all. Always wary of self-righteousness and of assuming moral superiority, the president was nevertheless convinced that what Bancroft had called the movement of mind had led the United States to new and different ground, ground on which slavery must finally give way to liberty. Such was what God demanded. And at Gettysburg, what Abraham Lincoln wanted. In the next episode of Hope Through History, President George W. Bush announces a bold international plan to turn the tide against HIV-AIDS. Thank you for listening to Hope Through History, a documentary podcast presentation from C-13 Originals in association with the History Channel. Executive produced by me, John Meacham, and Chris Corcoran. Directed by Lloyd Lockridge. Edited, produced, mixed, and mastered by Chris Basil. Produced and production engineering and research support by Paige Heimson, Ian Mont, Bill Schultz, Bob Tabador, and Sean Sherry. Creative consultation by Eli Lehrer and Jesse Katz. Graphic design, marketing, and publicity by Brian Swarth. Hilary Schuff, Josephina Francis, and Kurt Courtney. Cadence 13 is an Odyssey company. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.